Did you know that it's Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meave. Whether you're looking for a good Korean skincare or affordable and trendy jewelry, they've got you covered. Plus, you can help to support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. And welcome to Trials to Triumphs. I'm Ashley Blaine Featherston Jenkins, but you can call me ABFJ. This week, CNN anchor and senior political correspondent Abby Phillip talks to me about meeting the moment. 2020 was a scary year all around. Millions lost their lives to a viral infectious disease that is still with us. We were sequestered in our homes. Police brutality exposed unhealed racial wounds and an impending election loomed over our heads. Uncertainty and unrest truly marked every turn. But throughout the fear and confusion, Abby's calming presence explaining the news helped me feel safe and grounded. I truly became a fan, and she really helped me to know that despite all that was unknown about the world, there was someone who looked like me, showing up, asking the hard questions, and unpacking what mattered in the world. From her early days reporting on the White House to her current role at CNN, Abby learned to seize her opportunities whether she felt ready or not. Her story is a testament that your willingness to meet the moment can change your life. Sometimes it is not up to you which doors open. When the door is open, you just need to walk through it and meet the moment and meet the opportunity. You can't walk away from things that scare you because it's the things that scare you that are the things that are worth doing. History remembers those who took risks. And Abby shows us how the brave choices we make today not only cement our past, but create our future. And in our Sankofa moment, Abby reveals the historic trailblazer she would have loved to interview and why. Just in the time that she was doing what she was doing, the fearlessness, the clarity of purpose, Mm. and the way that we're all living in that legacy, the moral imperative that we have to illuminate things that are going on in the world is her legacy. Abby, she would be so So. proud. You're her legacy. That's amazing. Hi. Hello. Uh, Oh, my goodness. Okay, so here's the deal. I am an uber fan of yours. I just... (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously. I mean, you know, I hit you up on Instagram and was just like, Abby, this is during 2020, and I just was so captivated by you. I, I think, you know, 2020, Abby, was a very tough year for everybody. And yeah. so and so it was tough because right we were in the middle of the pandemic. But also there was this impending election and we didn't know what was going to happen and it was just really scary times and I just feel so grateful that I get to tell you this on the pod that 
seeing you and hearing you was so important for me at that time. I felt safe. I felt grounded. Um, seeing you on CNN every day made me feel like, okay, there's someone that knows what's going on that looks just like me and is going to give it to us straight, no matter what it is. And you really, truly helped get me through that year, Abby. And I just want to say thank you. And I'm so grateful that you're here on Trials to Triumphs. You are so sweet. I mean, that's like uh, the the highest comp compliment that you can get as a journalist, you know? I mean, just, it, it was a tough year and it was a confusing year for so many different reasons. For, for me as well, I mean, I think it was a time when we were all just figuring out what the heck was going to go on. And so I wanted to approach what I was doing from that exact perspective, like, What's the real truth of what's going on here? Because I don't think people really have the patience for um, platitudes and beating around the bush, and yeah. um, and I think they were looking for they were looking for people who are were in the news, especially to be straight up with them about mm. it. So anyway, that's what I hope to do, and I really appreciate you saying that. It's incredibly sweet of you to say that. So I'm gonna jump in, Abby, with like um, a bit of an icebreaker question. Okay, are you in? <laughs> yeah. What has been your peak and valley of this year thus far? Oh, this year? Yeah. Whew. Okay, well, the year is young. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, things could still happen. Um, okay, my the, the the peak is really easy. My peak every day is is my daughter. <laughs> I mean, it's literally literally every day, the highlight of every single day in my life right now. Uh, I get to come home to this beautiful... Uh, smart, funny, like joyful little baby who's so cute. And uh, that's that's kind of just figuring out how to be a working mom mm -hmm. has been difficult, but it's been it's been great. And maybe, you know what, honestly, maybe that's that's like my valley. I've <laughs> I had some really low points too as a working mom. Um just feeling like we put so much pressure on ourselves as as women and as mothers. And, you know, when I went back to work those first few weeks, I was an emotional wreck. My daughter was like kind of self-weaning. She didn't want to, I was breastfeeding her and then she stopped wanting to nurse. And that really set me into like an emotional tailspin. I was coming back to my job and, and wondering, did I still have a place here? Did I still, mm. you know, can you get back into your groove? Have you forgotten how to do your job? And, um, I, I had to come out of that and it took a while, but I did. And it's, motherhood, parenthood, it has really, like, its ups and downs, the highest highs, and sometimes really the lowest lows for me um, emotionally. But at the end of the day, I'm still here. Yes, <laughs> you're still here. I just am always so grateful to hear um, moms speak so candidly about the ups and downs. I, I just, I, I love that I feel like we're in a season of where moms are like, you know what? We're not hiding what it's really yeah. like. We're going to uh -huh. tell it. We're going to have our blogs and we're going to do our Instagram posts and we're going to be on TikTok giving the real. And yes. I just am so grateful because the truth is it's so helpful for me, you know, as yeah. I think about approaching motherhood at some point in the near future. I'm just so grateful to the moms that I feel like I'm more 
I'm more equipped than I might be if nobody was telling you. Yeah. Yeah. It's like there's been such an evolution on that, I think, in the workplace where, you know, I talked to women of a different generation who talked about, you know, you wouldn't put pictures of your kids on your walls in your office because you didn't want people to think that you were that, like, focused on it. And um, and I think that in the women of my generation, as we are kind of coming into our own in the workplace, we're basically saying, hey, we're out here doing a lot of work. We are doing our jobs. We are going home and being mothers and 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 partners to our partners. And you got to recognize all of that. I mean, mm. it is not all possible all at the same time. And so using, I think, the the power that that has been accumulated by generations of women over time in the workplace to finally say, the place that we want to get to is not that we pretend that women don't have kids, because they do, and not to pretend that when you have a kid that it has absolutely no effect on your life, because it does, but to say that when that happens, that this is a natural part of, you know, the circle of life. Some, somebody's got to have the kids, and we, <laughs> we are, we're doing, you know— we, uh, Millions of women are doing it all over the world, and they're they're also working, and they're also being breadwinners for their families. And it's about about how, about everybody acknowledging what those contributions are. And so I think that can be very empowering. I talk about it as you know to the extent that I feel comfortable talking about various parts of it. But I talk about it so that other people can feel comfortable talking about the highs and the lows and the parts of it that nobody talks about, the emotional strain that it takes to do all of the things that you need to do in addition to trying to, like, be a career woman. You know, there are there are women out there, friends of mine, who are in all different places in their journey to motherhood or not to be mothers. And just letting people know that, like, whatever that journey looks like for you is is okay and you can be supported. Yeah. Talk to me about your parents. What is what 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 are you most grateful that your parents instilled in you? My parents are amazing. I mean, they are I talk about a lot about how they are immigrants from Trinidad and Tobago and that alone I think always growing up knowing that my parents were the type of people who were willing to ba- make to take a big risk for their future and for their kids' future it changes your my whole approach to my life and like what my responsibility as a person is i always felt like what my parents did i'm not sure i would have been able to do they mm. picked up in their 20s, and they left their whole family, they left their whole lives, and they came to this country with very little, you know, not a whole lot of money, no sort of, you know, my dad was actually um, finishing his bachelor's at Howard at the time. So he was just trying to get an education. My parents were trying to find work and just trying to establish themselves. And growing up, we didn't have a whole lot. I mean, you know, my parents worked for, um, you know, doing like various tasks, nanny, house cleaning for mm. wealth, for a wealthy family in the area. And what they built from that um, it, it is not like my parents are not 
wealthy, but they are, or by a long shot, but they raised us to always believe that we were meant for, you know, big things. Mm. I think there was always a sense of possibility that because they brought our family into this country, that was our opportunity to do big things. And so I think that's the mindset I always grew up with. And I always try to kind of come back to a place of gratitude because I know, I, you know, I know my parents come from a little tiny island, a very small town in a tiny island. And my grandmother, the house that I spent a, a lot of my childhood in, my grandmother's house, there was no central air. There was, you know, very little, you know, my grandmother lived a very simple life. And to come from that to where I am today, mm. a, a, I graduated from Harvard University. I'm sitting here working for a major news organization. I know what it was like for me growing up, you know, when my parents, as a kid, like, we, we did not have very much. I couldn't do activities like clubs and sports because my parents just couldn't afford for us to do things outside of school. So I knowing that history and sometimes just taking stock of where you are, even if it's not ultimately where you want to be, it's not the end of your journey, but it's you just sometimes have to remind yourself that a lot of you've come so I've come so far from where my grandmother came from mm-hmm. and where even where my and where my parents started out and that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that is amazing. And then all of us, I mean, especially as Black people in this country, I mean, we all come from people who lived through just really um, kind of incredible uh, just discrimination and and um, structural barriers to their success. And so we we all come from something. We mm-hmm. all come from some somebody's sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And um and I think that that is we have to remember that it's like actually a source of strength more than yes. anything else. It's just like a it's a moment to realize like you know we're built to persevere through mm. this stuff. Yeah. I think you know as you were talking I was thinking you know your grandmother's trials for example have led to your generation's triumphs. You like it's For sometimes sure. it's generational. Sometimes sure. you look at it as such a um individual pursuit. And sometimes it's it's a it's the pursuit of legacy. It's the pursuit yeah. of greater for whoever is next and greater for whoever's after that. Give me the tea on how you got into politics. I actually think in some ways I grew up just kind of looking way way back like um, Trinidadians actually tend to be really into politics, like into Trinidadian politics, into American politics. They're kind of into it. Okay. And so they're just into current events. And so like family discussions were always kind of like debates about politics, about current events, about culture, about all kinds of things. And so I just, I honest to God took that for granted. I didn't even think it was unusual or notable. And so that's why um, even though I was interested in politics, I was interested in history, I was interested in all of that stuff, um, I didn't necessarily think of 
think about it as something that I wanted to do as a career until I went to college and I I thought I was going to be a doctor and I started doing all my like pre-med classes and I was just like, this is not it. (laughs) This is not for me. (laughs) This is not for me. And I just, you know, when I compare, you know, When you compare your passion for something against that of other people who are also pursuing it and you realize there's a gap there. Like, I just wasn't as passionate about it as some of my peers were. And it it was a signal to me that I needed to really think about what what motivated me. And uh, it, it seems simple to think about now, but when, but at the time, it actually took quite a long time. It's an exercise in thinking about, okay, what do you do when no one is is telling you to do that thing? Mm-hmm. What do you do in your free time? What do you gravitate toward when you're surfing the internet? And I realized that I gravitated toward politics. I would sit there and I would just wake up and like pull up the Washington Post or Politico on my phone and I would like read the news. <laughs> when I was in college. And I didn't really think about that as a signal to myself that that was just something that I, that was, that was closer to my passion until later. Um, and so that's how I ended up doing it. I, I started working for the, the paper in college and I started writing stories, but then I went on this trip to Mississippi. It was like a civil rights and service trip. Mm. And that was, I think, the real moment that I decided that this is worth doing. I knew that it was like interesting to me, but when I was, I was learning from journalists on that trip about the role that journalists played in the civil rights movement in, in writing about and, and documenting the desegregation of Old Miss um, by James Meredith and and uh, the the segregation that was occurring in the, the Deep South, Emmett Till's murder, just learning about the role that the media played in in exposing those stories and distributing them far and wide and just making them un you you can't ignore them mm. you know and that's what. I think the story of the civil rights movement is a lot of things, but um, the efforts to kind of make Jim Crow segregation uh, kind of, you can't make it impossible to ignore, I think was an incredibly powerful role that the media played in the course of history, in the course of human history. And I was like, that's a worthy pursuit, you know? I mean, if in the course of my career at some point... I can play a role in helping um, illuminate, you know, injustice and changing the course of in, of injustice and making it more just. I think that that's a worthwhile thing to do. That's a worthwhile goal to have, and it's a worthwhile mission. And we as a country, like, literally would not exist as a democracy without it. And I was like, that's it. That's what mm-hmm. I want to do. And so... It made it a lot easier after that point to to say that um, whatever I did, I knew it needed to be something that mattered. It it couldn't just be something that where I made money or where I you know lived a good little life like yeah. in the suburbs or whatever. Like 
to me, whatever I did, it needed to matter to something that was bigger than me. Yes, yes. I Well, I always talk about that. Like, I believe it's so important. Fulfillment comes from doing things that are bigger than you. Fulfillment yeah. is, is not associated with selfishness. It has to be outside of self or has to include things and people and causes and missions mm-hmm. that are outside of self. And yeah. I love yeah. that you found that for yourself. So what I want to know, Abby, is how did that lead you to the White House at 21? <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, it, this is a lesson in kind of how life can be sometimes. The White House was not on on my agenda. Mm. It was It was not where I thought I was headed. When I graduated in 2010 from college, it was like we were in the middle of the recession. I was just like, Jesus, I just need a job. Like, can somebody, <laughs> I just want to be yes. hired. So I I just tried, my, my number one goal was like, I need to just find a place to be. And it really doesn't matter what I'm doing. I got pretty lucky that my internship that summer before my senior year turned into a job offer at Politico. And when they offered me the job, they they were like, well, well, we'll figure out what you do later. And then I was like, okay, fine, whatever. As long as you're paying me. <laughs> so I'm getting ready to graduate, getting ready to start. And it wasn't, I, I literally started work not knowing what I was going to be doing. And then they they were like, okay, so we want you to cover the White House. And I was like, mm, wow. no, I don't think that's a good idea. I feel like... <gasps> I was like, I was like, I feel like maybe I should be on the Hill or something first, Capitol Hill. Um, They were like, no, no, we, you know, we really need you on the White House. I mean, it was just one of those things where ready or not, um, that was my assignment. And I Mm. just had to figure it out. And um, I felt, you know, I mean, it's cliche now, I mean, imposter syndrome would be an understatement. I was, I'm pretty sure that at 21 years old, I was the youngest person in the building. (laughs) 1,000%. I'm pretty sure. I mean, except for um, Malia and Sasha, I guess Except for Malia and Sasha, (laughs) I was like probably the youngest person in the building. Um, I showed up there. I didn't know what to do. I was one of the only people of color. It was like me and like April Ryan and like maybe one or two other people. And it just, uh, it was so overwhelming. And it was actually, uh, it, it was it was one of those things where I would always go and I would see my friends at parties and stuff and they'd be like, what do you do? And I would like not really want to tell them because I knew what would happen. I would tell them that I was covering the White House and they'd be like, oh my God, you have such a great job. And then I would be, you know, and in my mind, I was thinking to myself, I am like being crushed under the like weight of expectations and feelings of inadequacy and and feelings of like, can I do this? And so the White House, when that was my first White House gig, I was covering Obama and it was just, it just was a lot. And I, but you know, you just take it day, day by day and you work your way through that. And, um, it's not so much my favorite beat, but it's definitely something that teaches you a lot about kind of having perseverance in a certain way, about, um, having a certain degree of fearlessness because when you're in a position where you have to shout a question at the president, 
the nerves do get to you the first few times you do it. Mm -hmm. And you have to kind of push through that and be a little bit fearless in those moments. And that experience when I was a young reporter, 21, 22 years old, and it, it prepared me for what ended up happening later, which was when I was covering the Trump administration. Yes. It was not my first rodeo, and there was just a lot less apprehension about that experience. And, and it was easier for me to kind of just be right there asking the kinds of questions that needed to be asked in such a critical moment for our country. Mm. I love that, like, you tried to not do it. You were like, actually, <laughs> is there anything? But, but to me, the, the, the beauty in that story is you cannot downgrade your blessings. Right. You, you don't have 100%. that authority. We do sometimes not have it is, authority. Yes, it is. Sometimes it is not up to you which doors open. Mm. And... That's That has honestly been a major theme in my career is that it is not a lot of times when my biggest opportunities have presented themselves. It is not because I made them happen in any particular way. It's not because... I um, was was expecting them to happen. It's not because I felt prepared for them when they happened. And sometimes you are prepared even when you don't feel like you're prepared. Yeah. And sometimes you just, when the door is open, you just need to walk through it mm. and meet the moment and meet the opportunity. And I'm just the type of person, you know, some people, may, they come to their challenges feeling overconfident. They're ready to go. Like everything is is doable to them even when it's not. I'm the kind of person I like to be prepared. Ditto. <laughs> like to have done my homework. <laughs> Me too. Okay. I like to want to succeed at the things that I'm doing. And so when I don't necessarily feel like I saw it coming, um Sometimes there's a moment where you 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 doubt yourself and you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't walk through that door. But the reality is every single time, every time in my life when I've encountered those situations, which has been many, many, many times, every pivot point in my career, when I graduated from college and they said, go cover the White House, when I was going to go work at the Washington Post, a place that I had read my whole life and I never thought I would ever work. When CNN called and said, "They, I want you to come work here. When, when they said, okay, Sunday morning at 8 a.m., we want you to an anchor this show. Mm -hmm. When they said, presidential debate, we want you to mm. moderate a presidential debate. Every single one of those times, you have to, ready or not, Put your, your big girl shoes on and do what needs to be done and just meet the moment because um, God, when God, God is putting something in front of you, you just have to, you have to, you have to deal with, with it and you can't walk away from it. And you can't walk away from things that scare you because it's the things that scare you that are the things that are worth doing. Yeah. You know, those are the things that are worth, you know, challenging yourself yeah. on. And um, every single major career turn that I've taken has been terrifying to me, mm. but it's been worth doing every single time. Wow. I love that, Abby. Meeting the moment. 
Ooh, that's so good. And I think the the cool thing about when you meet the moment is that in the moment, sometimes it's very scary. You feel like, okay, this door opened for me, but I'm scared to cross the threshold because (laughs) am I prepared? But it's not until after. Sometimes you have to do, you do an, you have to run an analysis, run a report after you walk through said door. And oftentimes you'll realize, oh, I was prepared. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. You, you are probably ready, but you know what? Even if you're not, Mm. even if it doesn't work or you fail, that is fine too. Sometimes you really have to go through those experiences of failure to understand what it's going to take the next time around to succeed. Maybe you have 60% of the preparation and that's not enough. But even in the failures, those are important lessons. The people who stagnate are the ones who are never willing to take a risk, Mm. never willing to confront their own fears and are never, because they're too afraid of failing. And you can't, be in that mindset that will, you will stagnate if you do that. You have to take the chance that you're probably prepared, but even if you are not, there are lessons to be learned from failure. Yeah. The truth is, you're right, Abby, you might trip over the threshold, close your, jam your finger in the door. (laughs) But even if that is the case, there's a lesson in it. And you were still supposed to go through the door and have all those experiences. You're still, the door is open. You were still supposed to go through the door. And it was open for you, not for somebody else. It was open for you. So quickly, I want to get into the midterm elections coming up. So as a Black woman, especially who is a leader in covering politics, What are you most looking forward to reporting on? I think that this midterm election is going to be very difficult to report on. People's uh, feelings about politics are so complex right now. Um, You've got people who are maybe doing financially on paper better than they've done in a while, but they still feel pessimistic Mm -hmm. about their circumstances. And I think that unraveling that, getting at the heart of what's really going on with folks, some of it is not just things that have happened in the last two years. Some of it is just the accumulation of a lot of big trends. People have a lot of student loan debt. They're working too many jobs. Yeah, they're making a decent amount of money, but they don't want to be working two jobs anymore. Um, you know, they're dissatisfied with what's going on with their their kids' education. They can't afford childcare. Mm-hmm. Um, the reasons that people are, how people feel about politics right now is so complicated. And I'm very much looking forward to unraveling some of that and demystifying some of that and surfacing some of these complex conversations that people are having in their homes about how they feel about their lives and as a result, how they feel about politics when we talk about what happened in the last election, the role the Black voters played in the last election, there's a big question, what kind of role are they going to play in this election? How are they really feeling about what they got for their ballot Mm. last year, last cycle? And checking back in with those voters who were so pivotal and consequential in 2020 is a huge um, part of the picture of what's going to happen in 2022. And um, 
And I don't think you can short circuit it. I don't think polls are going to get us there. You know, polls are masking a lot of like undercurrents. The only way to get at those undercurrents is to really talk to people. So that's what I'm I'm trying to to do as much as possible this year. Yeah. What do you think is the biggest? Um, what would you tell Black women to be most aware of in this midterm election? You know, I think that Black women, but really all voters, people people need to be cognizant that their vote does matter mm. at all levels of government. And there's always a lot of focus on national elections. But, but as a reporter, I see every single day how even the most local of local, uh, you know, positions and races have such an enormous impact on not only people's lives, but they have like kind of upstream impact on the politics that kind of arrives here in Washington. There's been a lot of changes to voting rules that have made it more difficult for people to cast ballots. But, but the reality, even in that environment, is that people's votes do matter and that with the right preparation and education, you can make sure that your vote is counted mm. and that it is not discarded in the process. And people need to take ownership of that and ensure that they're informed. You know, we, I think we as journalists play a role in informing people about how they can go about voting, you know, but, but the fact that that they can do it and that you can, you can, if, if you inform yourself, you can make sure that your vote counts. Mm. If you inform yourself, you can um, make sure that your, your vote counts and your voice is heard. Yeah. Thank you for that, Abby. I feel more informed and I'm so grateful for you. Abby, what would you say has been your takeaway from our conversation? Well, I mean, I think uh, I've learned a lot from you, <laughs> actually, in this talk. Oh, wow. I mean, I think that um, that there's a lot of times, this is kind of like a around-the-way answer to your question, a lot of times people, especially if they just kind of discovered who I was in the last two years, they um, they're kind of like, Oh my God, how did she get there? And I think that we all go through the same journey, you know, to find, um, the, like, the greatest, you know, demonstration of our ability and our passion and our purpose. And I think we're all kind of going through the same thing. And the one thing that I know you know, and that I like to convey to people because they ask me this all the time is that it is was not like an over it's not like an overnight thing we are all going through a journey that has its ups and downs and that um knowing what you're driving at is a big part of it what your purpose is but also understanding that um that you that perseverance is really mm. the key to it all um you know i think that the the commonality in your story and mine mm -hmm. like where we grew up um, you know, what you want when you turn on the TV and what I want to do when I appear on TV, mm. there's a lot of overlap there. And I think we all share uh, the same kind of journey and struggle and, and all of that. And so I think I just, 
Um, I feel very connected to your story. And I think that actually when people probably listen to us, uh, hopefully they also feel connected to it too, because, you know, you're, you do something totally different from what I do, but we, we have very similar journeys. And, um, I love, I just, I've, I've, I've really enjoyed kind of, I think, I think your approach to it and mine are very similar. And I hope that people kind of learn from that and take something away from that. Yeah. No, that's beautiful, Abby. And thank you. I, I too, I think that's one of my takeaways, how much of myself I see in you and how much I'm seeing, I'm realizing that you see in me, but also I'm sitting here looking at you saying, I am so grateful that you're going to continue to be a part of my life on and off screen. I'm so grateful to know that as the years go on, as life events happen, as world events happen, that I will continue to have you to look to. That is so exciting and quite inspiring to know that my daughter one day, your daughter will see women like you and like me who are giving them the news and giving them a little entertainment, I guess, over on my side. <laughs> right, but, right, right. How amazing is yes, that? Yes. Right? I think it's so, like, you know, my, it's really not my dream for myself. It's my dream for, like, my my daughter, you, you know, everybody else's kids. It's yeah. like, that if you want to be an actress, you can be an actress. Mm-hmm. If you want to be a journalist, you can be a journalist. If you want to be a politician, you can be a politician. If you want to be a Supreme Court justice, yes. you can be a Supreme Court justice. <gasps> and I think that that is, like, we all, all we want is for all of the possibilities to be open to all people, right? And so um, I think, you know, that's the thing. It's like we we look at each other and we see a lot in each other. And that's because um, there are so many people like us out there. We just, you know, I think we're becoming, I think it's like becoming more visible, but we're out here. And when we take up our space Mm. and we own our our place in the world, you know, it just makes it a lot harder for people to ignore you. Yes. You know, at at some point they have to contend with you. Yeah. So you're not seeking other people's approval. You're just trying to do your best Mm. and, and your best will become, you know, you just can't, you can't ignore it after yeah. a certain point. And be unafraid so. of being the highest version of yourself and yeah. the most authentic yeah. version of yourself because yeah. somebody's going to see themselves in you, right? Yeah. Just like we and are. And lift you up in the process. And lift you up in the process. Yeah, because that matters too. Ooh. That matters too. Mm. So, Abby, well, listen, I am a fan and now you're my friend. We're just stuck with yes. each other now. We're just stuck. <laughs> yes, likewise, likewise. It's so great to talk to you. You're so amazing. I just want to say I thank you. I really, really do. And I really honor you, Abby, and all the work that you do for all of us. You're just a gem. I'm so grateful you thank came you. to join us. After the credits, we're talking about the political pioneer Abby most admires and why she's so proud to follow in her footsteps. Stay with us. 
Thank you so much for listening. This podcast is produced by LWC Studios for OWN. The show's executive producer is Juleka Lentigua. Its senior editor is Verilyn Williams. Sound designer is Cedric Wilson. Managing producers are Camille Stennis and Paulina Velasco. Assistant producers are Michelle Baker and Shanice Tyndall. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, and we hope you do, please make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and review wherever you listen to your podcast to ensure you hear the next one. If you can bring one historical figure back to life for an interview, who would it be and why? Ooh, um, I think it would be, I would say Ida B. Wells. Yes! I mean, it has to be just because she's such, I mean, just in the time that she was doing what she was doing, the fearlessness, the the, clar- the clarity of purpose, mm. and the way that we're all living in that legacy, like modern day journalism. Mm-hmm. Okay, modern day journalism is her legacy. Yes. Um, the the imper- the moral imperative that we have to illuminate things that are going on in the world is her legacy. Abby, she would be so proud. You're her legacy. That's amazing. Yeah.